0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Panty Personals, a podcast where I get to have intimate tete-a-tetes with old friends and new. And today I'm very much with an old one <laughs> Old and beautiful of course My much-loved pal The original Derry Girl The multi-talented Celebrated international artiste And gaspitch Brona Gallagher <laughs> uh, Brona and I go way back She thinks that we met in the George Bar in Dublin And I will have to take her word for that Because it was in the 90s And therefore I can't be expected to remember Because the 90s were a blur <laughs> But it was definitely many moons and frocks ago. She first rocked into our lives in The Commitments 30 bleeding years ago, and since then she's starred in umpteen movies and TV shows and on umpteen stages, while at the same time confirming her reputation as a remarkable and versatile singer and songwriter, and recently making sweet music with folk like Dave Stewart of the Rhythmics and Noel Hogan of the Cranberries. Rona, hi, Hello, how are sweetheart. you, sweetheart?
1: I am very well. It's lovely I, to see you.
0: It's lovely to see you because it has been an age. I, I honestly don't remember when the last time I saw you was. I mean, it was definitely before um, Miss Rona arrived. Yes, indeed. Um,
1: my Corona. Um, I think it was actually at either, I think it was Panty Bar. I think I was there with my fabulous aunties uh, for a night out and you were doing your fabulous show. So, oh, yeah, but I mean... Yeah, it's all a bit of a blur, indeed. Yeah, it,
0: it is. Um, so, yes, you think that we met in the George with um, our mutual friends Veda and Pete Reddy. Yes, but for some weird reason, I have like a, you know, like a trace memory of the Cobblestone Bar. But that might be totally out of nowhere. I don't know why I have that. That might be totally That's wrong.
1: Bringing a bail. Bring
0: like I would have assumed we met through Maria. Dalton yes, day. of course. Um,
1: I think but it might it could have been, been. through
0: yeah. Veda and Pete. Anyway. I'm glad I met you, bro. (laughs) Right back at you. Um, Brona, first of all, let me start off by saying I love you dearly, but I also hate you because I'm looking at you here in front of me and you are one of those assholes who have used this lockdown to look incredible. You clearly have been yoga-ing and working out and all of that. I mean... I'm emerging from this whole thing, like a big grey, actually two big grey moths. You're, You're uh, you've emerged like the bloody phoenix. Look at you, you look fabulous. Do
1: you know, I mean, I kind of, obviously, like everybody, it was, you know, a slow skid and then a stop. And then I thought, right, I'm going to go to Derry. I came back, I was at a wedding in South Africa and landed in Heathrow and was like, right. There's nobody here. What's the story? You know, kind of didn't really understand Mm. the extent of the word pandemic and what it really, obviously, because we've never been here before. So came back to Dublin and I was like, it's only two weeks. We'll be fine. I mean, mates in Derry were like, no, it's not. So God bless my friend, Shauna. She drove down, did a U-turn and we went up the road because Mammy and Daddy, obviously, you know, my parents are very healthy. God Mm. bless them and touch wood and they're great, but they're in their 70s. And my kill me for saying that. And um, I thought, right, I better be near hand because my sister couldn't, because she's got children and my brother lives in England. So I went to Derry and it was like week after week, rolled into week. And I thought, right. So I just thought, right. For the first time in a long time, I was able to stop. And as much as I love my work and traveling, you know, I didn't realize how tired I was and how long it operated from Mm. a place of being very tired. So I love yoga. And if it wasn't probably in acting and singing, I would probably be maybe teaching it or studying it deeper. I love yoga. I've done mm. it for a long time on and off, you know, and I've done a fair amount of abuse to my body as well. <laughs> but um, so I just went down the yoga hole and I have a great friend in Derry, Evelyn and Noel have a school and they went online. Joined their Zoom and then I have a wonderful teacher, Julia, who I met here in Dublin at one of the, the classes and she started a uh, Zoom class too. So I just did yoga like every day. Maybe Sunday took it off, but mm. I walked probably 10k a day writing, finishing the Noel, we, the song for Noel that we just released. Uh, walked in the hills of Donegal and Derry in that glorious weather and just cooked really nice food for me and my best mate and just our boyfriend. And we had a wee bubble and I just did that. And it but did you keep heaven. that energy
0: up the whole yeah. way? Because I started off with that kind of right. energy, doing the walks and mm. um, learning how to bloody cook soda bread, and I was being productive. I learned how to use editing software and making stupid right. videos. But I lost all that energy right. after you know six months in or something. Right. And since then, I've just been eating you know chocolate, Kimberly, and right. you know patting myself. Right. Um, I like
1: don't have to laugh yeah, I like, fair about that too. There's a, wee, there's a gourmet deli opened up the street for me. So I'm like, oh, I have a meringue. Yeah. Right. No, I think, do you know what it does? It, it was a funny one, Panta, because I, I knew that I'd stretched myself in different areas in my life before. And I knew, I, I got to the stage, I thought, you know, I was 48 during the first lockdown. And I just thought, mm. I know what works now. Mm. And I know how I can get back to neutral and I can get back to the place, And you know, yoga is one side of it, but there's meditation as well. And I know people have branded, you know, this word about quite liberally in the last few years and people talk about mindfulness. And mm. I know you spoke to, you know, Brezi about it and yep. stuff. Um, and we do have great conversations with myself and Brezi and a lot of friends that are into it. But for me, that is a life tool and a life skill that I actually don't ignore and let it go for three or four weeks. I do it on a daily basis because I know where it brings me back to and it brings me back to the most important place, which is the present. Mm. So that to me was that time. So I just kept going back to it. So it just got me to a place where I wasn't going to be anxious about what the future was because, I mean, it was, there was a lot of anxiety around at the time and, you know, we don't know what were, were happening. None yeah. we're working. What are we going to do? So I just thought, right, there's nothing anybody can do about this. You got to play your part as a human being, be cool. Don't be stupid, don't be needed. An mm. And then, and that's what I did and I just kept going. And I know that that discipline that I've brought into my life has, you know, it's just clicked me into a place of contentment mm. that I've actually never felt before.
0: Well, you're a great advertisement for it, I have to say. Mm. Well, because you've ha- long had an interest in the yoga and mm-hmm. for you, it's not just about stretching out and getting the tight abs. No. It's about you being the best version of yourself. Best version and- of
1: yourself, I, I think it's just, you know, horror of the last 14 months. We're not designed to, to comprehend this pandemic and the most healthy people that we know have got, you know, been infle- affected by it. And, you know, we know all the horror stories that we've had and the heartbreak that it's caused, you know, you only have one body. You know what I mean? You only have one mind Mm. and your time is as precious as my time. You're only part of this, this picture for a little while, you know. And I just thought, what's the best we can do? What's the best that I can bring myself to in order to enjoy this ride for Mm. however long it's going to last? Mm. So to me, there's no more time to waste. There's Mm. There's no more time for me to waste feeling inadequate or not feeling confident enough about life or not feeling valuable enough or giving myself enough value and like if you fill every part of your body if you fill it up you know if you are a being of light or whatever way you want to look at it and people think she's off her head <laughs> but if we are star particles or whatever we are you know fill yourself up the amount of time we sit around feeling inadequate and feeling that we're not good enough and especially in, in, in not just in the entertainment business you know, because you're constantly judged you're constantly putting your heart and soul into something mm. it be it an album or a stage player or film, it might get slashed in one review you know so you got to be strong yeah really really strong to take that because that's the game you're in mm. and that's just not as I say entertainment business that's all walks of life so you know
0: but it is uh, very much heightened in the entertainment business yeah because as you say it, it's criticized mm. I mean you know most people in most other jobs um there isn't sort of a big article in the paper the next no. day uh, criticising how well they did their accounting. Yeah. Do you know, it, yeah, it's yeah, very yeah. personalised no. that way.
1: That's a, It's very personalised and, you know, I love music more than anything. It's the art form that makes me feel most alive. It always has since I was very young. And in our world, you've seen so many incredible artists that are so delicate and so vulnerable And all of the, you know, toxicity that's available to people, all of the negative people, all of the criticism can be detrimental to the most talented of people. And you kind of think, how could they have took that personally? Or how could, how would, how would that person so talented be so vulnerable? Mm. And unfortunately, some of the greatest that we know were that vulnerable or just messed up, you know, got really messed up some night and OD'd or drunk or whatever. And like, there's all those cliches in our business. You know, if you're going to do music and you're going to do acting, you've got to be strong. You've got to be yeah. really tough. If you want to go the whole hog, because you've seen people, bands be destroyed by individuals been destroyed by it, movie stars, been destroyed but I just think, do you know what? What is the best version of me that I can be in, in a sense of just self-acceptance? You have your good days, you have your bad days, of course, but you just have to go, this is that, you either accept it, you either celebrate it, or you'd be depressed mm. and you don't do anything. I mean, I've gone times in my life where I've done nothing and I've just been <laughs> in Williams for six months, you know, but I've, I've I've always kept back to it. And now as I got older, I just thought, this is actually the only way for me now. And that's what it means in Sanskrit. Mm. Yoga means the path. So, you know, it's just, it's part of your life, but you feel great. You're not anxious. I got up this morning and I felt a wee bit sort of anxious, not about seeing you or being here, but just being out again, you mm-hmm. know. And I just thought, hold on a minute here, on the mat, and I did the hour that I did yesterday with my teacher because she sends you the playback, and I just knew that set you up. If you don't do it, it affects the day. Because everything about your hour breathing. this morning before yeah, you came here. Yeah, yeah.
2: That's to a- be in
1: good form, mm. you know, just to be relaxed and not to feel sort of, as I say, anxious or um, self-conscious. Mm. Yeah, yeah.
0: And and it's sort of interesting too because you know in this business in particular you have to be photographed beside these you know Amazons you know other actresses who are you know whatever like your know, models. Um. And, and no matter how you cut it, in the entertainment business, you're judged from the outside by other people, aye. and there's a pressure, particularly on women, aye. but on men too, but to look a particular way aye. and to be in a aye. certain condition and aye. all of that. I mean, have you? Do you feel that pressure on you? Oh God! You no, know, as a singer I and an feel, actress, and,
1: you know. What I feel is Panty I feel it's somebody else's opinion Number one I used to As a very young person Used to Get you know Upset about it But You know And I worked on Brassic last year And I had such a laugh With the other actors And Michelle Keegan Is my buddy in the show Michelle That's Keegan That's the show on Sky Yeah, and it's yeah. Second season Third season Bro just Finish the third About to shoot the fourth But Michelle is one of the kindest Sweetest She's a lady She's an absolutely beautiful girl and we would such a laugh and she stood beside me a few days. And I was like, go and stand over there, will you for God? I can like, go and get out of my face. You know, we laugh, slag her all the time because she's so beautiful and so perfect. But she works out every day. She doesn't need crap. She monitors everything that she takes in. She looks after herself and that's why she looks as well. And my parents, for some reason, they always watched Parkinson or Wogan, you know, mm. and all the shows. And I used to see people coming on and I used to see them going, he looks great, hey, hey she looks great. He, he he aged well. Hi, hey, she looks well. Hey? you know. And I just think that's the way to do it. You know, because your face tells a story of who you are. You yeah. know, your eyes don't lie, and your internal, you know, your internal landscape is going to be on the old, <laughs> old bake. The old bake is the yeah. same dairy. You know, so I just think as you get older, be the best version again of yourself, and you're the only one who can do it. You know, the Buddhists say you're the one you're waiting for. These are like huge statements people go, "Oh, here she goes quoting the Buddha," but it's actually common sense. You know It's common sense mm. You're the one You're waiting for You know So nobody's going to Get you out on that bike Nobody's going to Get you two stone lighter Or give you You know A tight butt Or a flat yeah. stomach Only you You know Chips and in Indian takeaway food And 15 pints Is not going to do it <laughs> Do you know what I mean Get your fat ass On that mat But you uh, know
0: I've always been Very active And um, since You know Around the age of 30 I, I got into exercising I, And I've always Done it ever since And I've never Really had to consider you know Weight or any of that Because right. I just I had You've an active lifestyle fat, aye, aye, aye. I'm also not You know My, my dad's a skinny rake And a lot
1: Just naturally aye. Yeah
0: But this lockdown thing You know It's the first time where I You know aye. I have a whole new body shape That aye. I've never had aye, before aye, in my aye, life aye, And I have like aye. boobs Looking at aye, me in the mirror aye, And all this kind of stuff <laughs> And at first I quite enjoyed it Because A I didn't have to show You, know, aye, I was you weren't on show Exactly yeah. aye, aye, aye. And I was quite sort of like It was just interesting to me To have aye, this other aye, body shape And and I almost like I'd catch, you know, I'd corner my eye in the bathroom mirror and it would look like somebody else. And I found that sort of interesting. But because I've never really had to do it before, I'm finding the, you know, trying to watch discipline. what I eat and the d- d- discipline aye. so aye. difficult. Aye, aye, aye. Um, and so I've developed a sort of a whole other appreciation for how difficult it can be. I
1: think it's just, you know, you know, you know where you have to get to. You know, you're sort of, you're fighting weight, as they say, you know, you know where you want to get to. So I just think. I think for women and uh, and men, obviously, I don't mean to, you know I can't speak for men, but I think for women, it's there's so much pressure sometimes in in our business, and it is commented on so much of the time. And I mean, well, I've done interviews with you know really established, prestigious um, journalists and newspapers, which will remain nameless. And I was feeling you know really. Like it went well and I felt that I was articulate. I was neutral about my, you know, concerns for the North. You know, I wasn't blaming or you want to talk about politics, which I try not to talk about too much because um, I'm not a politician. Mm. Um, and I really felt we discussed this really articulate conversation about Brexit and the impact of it, Brit- British colonialism, British imperialism, uh, my life growing up in Derry. And I had this really brilliant chat with the people and the newspaper came out and I was sitting in my own in the house and I opened the paper and the headline was, I never felt I met the right man. And
0: it was, <laughs> I know what the paper was now because I. You've seen it, I. Yeah. I,
1: but it was one of those moments in life and I just thought, right, is that what it's about? Mm. So that's what it's about. Okay. And I was really, really hurt and I was really upset. and just, well, that's a sub editor. I have a lot of great friends working in journalism. I know the crack, yep. they say that's a sub editor. And I thought, here I am as a dairy woman, speaking about my country, speaking about politics, you know, what you say, I don't discuss a lot, trying to articulate what I believe is a feeling and an essence for my community, the people where I'm from, mm-hmm. I would never speak for anybody else. And that's all you got. And there was a shift within me, which I know now is now known as a paradigm shift. And I thought, "Mm, okay, okay, that's the game I'm in. And I thought, well, I'm going to be strong internally, strong physically, emotionally, spiritual, and you can say what you want because I'm not going to let strangers that I don't know or some patriarchal society make a judgment on me because I'm not what society perceives I Mm. should be because... If I was somebody that wanted to be in a relationship with somebody that was equal to me, I would be in one, but I haven't found them. Mm. And I know so many women of my generation and of my work that work so hard and have worked so hard since I was like 17, do work sometimes they don't want to do to keep things going and keep things moving and keep the music going. And I don't need to be boxed into any category. I don't need to be, you know, said, oh, that's, that, that God lover, like, do you know what I yeah. mean? I just thought, no, 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 no. So I just went and did the work. I went and did the mental work and I just thought, right, I'm not going to let that upset me the way I think it is or that, you know, that you're sort of left, as they say, on a shelf or something like that. I thought, no, when I meet somebody that's on my level, you know, then I'll let you know.
0: Yeah. Well, I love that, that it's about somebody who's on your level. mm mm-hmm. um, Because you're right, Bronagh.
1: Oh, I'm not settling. I'm not settling for that. But I just Um, found it really, uh, I thought everything is thought, you know, I actually felt towards the end, I just thought, I felt real compassion for them. I just thought, well, that's all you've got. See you later. You know, um, because I'm taking things over there. You know what I mean? We spoke about it before, you know, Dolly Parton and the recent incredible um, declaration of, of life from Tina Turner. And, you know, women that grew up in extremely, you know, extremely traumatic situations, because when you have strength internally and you have peace internally, you don't need anybody else to validate you. Mm-hmm. You don't need anybody else to tell you you're great, you're free. And to me, that last year has been about that mm-hmm. because you are on your own and you are out there on your own, no matter who you have, either side of you, you know. And if you can get the sunshine inside, then it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And that's what you stay with for me, you know I mean?
0: Well, you are walking out your humility. And at the same time, knowing your own worth.
1: That's it, knowing your own worth. The wealth of yourself, as Damien Dempsey always says, you know, know the wealth of yourself. And it's so true. I think for Irish people as well, you know, we've really, 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 really grown up in the last sort of five, six years in knowing our own power, knowing you know the empowerment that we have as the people. The people have the power. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the, you know, same sex marriage hmm. in that moment when, you know, when you were there and we were all at home, all in tears and we were all watching it on our phones in the garden and I was along with Brian Kennedy in my garden <laughs> and we were drinking pink <laughs> champagne, you know, and you were, you know, on um, Dublin Castle. And I went, this is the moment where Irish people have risen and then repeal hmm. a few years later. So that empowerment that we've had and, you know, post-colonial, you know our confidence, it was stripped off us with first, you know, British occupation and then church occupation, which kind of were on the same power of mm-hmm. abuse. Mm-hmm. You know, we find a voice now that this, it's non-retractable. This is us. We're only moving forward. There's no going back. Mm-hmm. So that's to me that this year was part of that. A sort of little self um, realisation and a little self revolution. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, you know, I'm not a great you know, Buddha guy myself or any of that of the yoga, but I think, and I have told you before, um, something RuPaul once said. Well, I, I always credit him. Maybe he got it from somewhere else, but uh, has been my source of strength in the face of all that kind of judgment and all that is what other people think of you. None of your business
1: True yeah yeah You just waste too much energy on it You know I mean Everybody's going to have opinions about you And people are going to think you're crap And people are going to think you're fucking great You know But the bottom line is As long as you know you're alright And you're doing your best And you're not harming people And you're not trying to blow out Somebody else's candle You know to make yours shine brighter You know Like life is pretty extraordinary You know when you look back At what we haven't been allowed to do In the last year Life is It's magical You know it really is And I mean I wake up some mornings And I'm not you know Saying this lightly, but you know we all take the the moon and the sun for granted are they going to be there you know are they are they what if they weren 't Do you know so if you think about the actual you know the balance that we have, the magnetism you know the miracle of planet earth where it 's sitting <laughs> and the life and all the wonderful animals and all the wonderful and sex that we can look and study at and other people and other cultures and other spiritualities, you know, like it is a miracle. It just keeps going. You just take it for granted every day. You know, you just take it for granted that the moon's going to, you know, there's the moon, you know, well, why is the moon <laughs> lit up? Why is the moon lit up? It's moonlight? No, it's not moon. It's actually the sun's completely and utterly perfectly aligned with it. So that's what, you know,
2: Whoa! You know what I mean? So
0: that's that's a, how I feel about you, Brona. You're oh. a force of nature and I take <laughs> it for granted that you're just going to be there. <laughs> Come here, let's have a song. Yes. Um, what song are you going to do first?
1: We're going to do Greatest Love. Uh, the Keane and I wrote uh, In This Room.
0: Keen Boylan. Yes,
1: Keane Boylan, who will be accompanying uh, me on the, the, the beautiful Steinway. Um, yes, we wrote this song... Um, in this very studio and recorded it in here. So I think it's pretty apt. And it's about the end of a love and um, finally realizing that, you know, letting somebody go is um, sometimes the most important decision.
0: Well, that's here.
2: Daylight reflection comparison fastest road to misery when will the blame and cease? Realize now it's up to me. Grace. the spotlight that I shone on you. Gonna get down from my troubled tree and stop loving you. I got kicked under the cover, couldn't keep from going under. No one warned me what the night could bring. My greatest problem is Reflection, comparison, fastest road to misery. When will the blame and Cease. Realize now it's up to me. Greatest, greatest love of mine. Greatest.
0: Oh, Brona, that was beautiful. Thank you, Yay.
1: thank you, thank you.
2: Um,
0: you, un- unlike me, you've actually been working yep. during the um yep. the whole pandemic thing. I had a few socially distant things, and of course, you do the podcast now, right? Um, but you've been you were proper working for quite a bit of it. You were filming um, Brassic, which is on Sky, yep. um, um, in Manchester. Um, how was that experience? getting back into a working environment at what point in the lockdown was that? I mean pandemic was that?
1: I think I went back to Manchester in November. Maybe the end of September. So October, November, December. Right. The end of September. And
0: So after six months essentially of Yeah. Yeah
1: And three months in Derry Then three months in Dublin And did But everybody Did the lockdown house do You know did the garden And the house up And painted everything And that was great And I had loads of time To do that to The house But then I went back to Manchester So it was three months In a Small apartment In Manchester That was really tough And it was a bad winter And because it was The whole new Era of COVID Film sets And the COVID unit None of us were allowed To go anywhere We were tested You know twice Three times a week a lot of us were anxious. There was two different outbreaks. so We had to stop. So that was tough for the first few months um, because it was in this wee apartment. It wasn't in my own house. We can be doing all the wee bits yeah. and pieces. But once we got our heads around it, going back then, January, February, March was fine. Mm. So we knew what we were up against.
0: And so h- h- how was it Then You're all sort of tested before you start and then you're sort of yeah. in a bubble of your own.
1: Yeah, you're all sort of staying in, you know, either um, the same apartment block, That's very strict, and as regards nobody's allowed to come in that's not there. So we were all tested before we had a shoot the next day, and that was great. And then you know, you're just your own common sense and discretion. People, I think, that maybe did bend the rules once or twice tested positive, or there was a bogey test and it messed things up for a day, and then then they were clear, but it definitely cost sky. And what happened in the
0: times that there were, I mean, twice people did yeah brother. yeah yeah so what happens to the production 10 day
1: down tools so you're sitting in an apartment or you're sitting in a hotel room so i was like okay yoga pilates let's go because you couldn't go anywhere i mean you can go to and Spencers mm. and you know mask up and glove up and do all the stuff we were doing but um yeah it, i mean we were so so grateful to be working number one so you just did i was just really well behaved on it but it was tough but we were working so what like Get over yourself, you know. I mean it's amazing that the film industry is able to continue on in that way. Mm. Um because the music industry certainly isn't, you know. Yeah. So um that's been brutal, you know, absolutely brutal.
0: And in fact, one of the crew um died from COVID yeah. during the production.
1: Yeah, one of our drivers, yeah. It's awful. Yeah. Mm. Awful. A young man well, he was only fifty two and he got in contact with it and um, yeah, he died. Terrible. Mm. Yeah.
0: The longer it goes on, the the bigger I, I feel it has as a sort of a psychological impact on everyone. Mm. Um, because it is it is more than simply having to stay home and bake soda bread. You know, it is much psychologically much bigger than that. And I didn't appreciate that at the beginning, really.
1: A great friend of mine in London said people have lost their confidence. And I just thought that was so bang on. You know, our confidence to, um, should I be out? You know, sh- should I be talking to him first and foremost? You know, because the anxiety levels were through the roof and people trying to comprehend what the hell's going on. So we lost our confidence, not just to have conversations outside of our, you know, next of kin or bubbles, but, you know, how do you, what do you talk about now? Mm. You know, we've no crack. You know, we didn't do this last night. We weren't out to three or four yeah, in the morning. Yeah, we weren't yeah. having a gig and the You know, so what are we actually talking about? And, and that's going to be a slow process for people to rebuild that you know and just when you thought you were getting it tight somebody else is getting it even worse so their you know has yeah. failed, they've lost their property they've lost you know all the awful mm. stuff we heard so yeah huge impact emotionally on people right to the core you know right to the core of who we are who are mm. we if you can't be you and on yeah. your nights out and you know then who am I so any demons or any demons that maybe you'd never even think were there you know Yes, you know? like an existential
0: yeah. crisis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who the Very hell so. am I when I'm yeah. just sitting at home all you know, day every exactly day?
1: Exactly. And you've no control over it. And you hear of completely irresponsible people that are meant to be in charge doing brutally stupid things and jeopardising the community trust of people thinking, well, if they're doing it, I'm going to do mm. it. And then there's a boom, there's a spike or whatever, you know. So I think, um yeah. Brutal.
0: But like apart from regular working, you've also been creative. So you've been writing and collaborating and, uh, you know, writing songs with other people and all that stuff. Um, Which I, again, this is also part of the reason why I'm deciding to hate you today. Um, Because I've had none of that creative energy. And partly a lot of that I think to do is what you just sort of mentioned there. Um, The fact that every day is just exactly the same. So I, I don't find myself being sparked. You know, uh, creatively, but you do not seem to have had that sort of creative I, doldrum.
1: I didn't, you know, I mean, I think because a lot of the time if you're, if you're writing songs or you're making work and you're in here in the studio with the lads, you know, you're in a zone and you're on a flow, but I knew that I had all this time now. So what my favorite thing to do is write music and write songs. So I just dived in, literally like into the writing. Belly, I had the song with Dave Stewart almost finished. So we, you know, tell us it.
0: that that's the the story of that because the backstory of that's quite fun actually. Um, how yeah. do you end up working with Dave Stewart from the Eurythmics?
1: Well, Dave, <laughs> um, we'd met, you know. We'd met maybe 15, 16 years ago at his 50th birthday party. I was a guest of another friend who brought me to the birthday party. Oh,
0: you were a guest of Brian Eno, don't <laughs> Yeah, I <it> was indeed. <laughs> I was a guest of another Didn't friend, me don't name you? Name dropping
1: there. The big name B uh, is great. And uh, so we went to the 50th, and it was fantastic crack. And, you know, so he slightly kind of remembered me. I don't think he really did, but cut to the West End. It'll be four years now. I was overdoing the gear from the North Country, the Conor McPherson's brilliant play with Bob Dylan's music. So we were on the West End and the beautiful Dick Clement, who was one of the co-writers of the script of the commitments of Roddy Doyle's brilliant book, obviously. So Dick and Ian Lafreni wrote the script with Roddy and Dick came to the show in the West End and he goes, I know that woman, but I had the blonde wig. I was doing the sort of, Barbara Stanwyck vibe of, I made this kind of movie star I made jump but we great crack loved the show and Dick came and had a drink afterwards I made a great night and he goes I'm in LA I said I'll be over next month I'll give you a shout so we hooked up and we went for dinner by Ham and his lovely wife Nancy and he said I'm doing a piece of work I want you do you have a listen and would you be on, interested in doing a wee bit of singing we're writing this piece of work uh, with Dave Stewart I said no problem I think I might owe you one so we went down to the studio, sang the wee bit of work that they were working on with Dave and Dick and Ian. And I went to Mexico, darling, as you do, for a week to Tulum. Fabulous, my favourite place. And when I came back from Mexico, Dave said, would you come back down and fix a wee thing?
2: And Dave says, right. He
1: said, and you play your own music? I says, I do. He says, you write your own stuff, do you? I says, I he "I heard it. He says, I was listening to it. She never brought me a record. I says, no, I never did. I wouldn't be in there. You know, shameless, <laughs> shameless self-promotion. And I says, no, I didn't. He goes, it's very good. I said, Do you think so? He says, Your band's good. Who's them boys? I said, Oh, that's the SCA team in Dublin. So I was telling them, but like, well, he just got it. Like, yeah. you know, totally got the vibe. So he basically says, ah, I love the lyrics. He writes them? I said, Well, I would write the lyrics, you know, on the music. You know, I come up with some ideas, but I'm not really, anyway, a musician that can play it in the guitar, but I've got amazing guys. So they played, so, you know, team effort. And he goes, I was thinking maybe you'd write a song with me. So I was like, What do you mean? And he goes, Yeah, like, we could write something together. And I was like, Really? And like, he didn't know. The like I was a massive rhythmics fan. Like, that's the band that wear my teenage band. I mean, I mm-hmm. was the all my soul, my reggae, my blues. Yeah. But the rhythmics were, you know, because they're soul, you know.
0: Yeah. Popped. And you're the perfect age for perfect a teenage obsession. Oh, I had the
1: jacket like the, with the yeah. patch in the back and the school bag and all the badges and all, and the poster in the wall. I knew every record, like obsessed. And I was like, really? And he goes, yeah. And I remember getting a bit of a sort of panicky sort of setting and setting And I thought, just breathe. And I could feel the sweat running down my back. And it was LA, like it was really hot, and I think there might have been tequila involved the night before. And the sweat was in the back, and he says, "Right, let's go." And he lifted the guitar, walked into the other studio like this, and I was like, "What? Like now?" And he goes, "Yeah, wait, what have you got? A few hours?" And I was like, "Ah, uh, yeah, oh well, yeah, okay, I'm supposed to do." And we sat down, and there he was playing. We started. I started. I thought, "Well, just." Just go for it here. Yeah. So I thought, you know, I was seeing this guy and da 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 and it was a bit of a game and, you know, I wasn't sure, and I really liked him, and, and you know, he was messing with me. About it. He goes, right, so it was a bit of a game, but bit of a truth or dare. I said, yeah, a bit of a truth. But down it went. You took me right
2: back to the start. Oh, I should done a number on you. Yeah, she really broke your heart.
1: but we sat in the studio beforehand and we were talking about production and that's my obsession production how records are made and so we just banged on about music like uh, anybody that would listen to me you know they'd be falling off boredom but you met somebody that was yeah. neurotic about it and we just started coming up with the idea Was it true So I got the demo that we did that day. He sent it back to me. And I said, look. And I thought, right, we're going a woman up here. I said, can I play this in Dublin with my band? Because you know how good they are. And he was like, yeah, it's all yours. I said, so we'll just co-produce this together. I'll get the lads in. We'll work it out with the A-team. And we'll take it from there. And I'll send you back But we've got. No problem. So it was like a, you know, yeah. chess. So your move, you move. And I says, right. So now we've got this, he loved it.
0: And the song is called Truth or Dare. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. and then we got Lucius, the Gairs from Lucius, the incredible American singers that I've seen on Jules as well, like 10 years ago, and completely fell in love, madly in love with the tune because they're such incredible singers. And we became friends. So that was it, and it was great, and it's come out you know, really well received, so we were delighted.
0: And there's a very cute video with it too I mean it's a very cute song like right, it's it's you. so fun
1: you know what it was because it was lockdown last summer I recorded myself in the kitchen on my own with my phone on a top of a pile of books and something uh-huh. the Gears recorded themselves in LA Yeah. and there's a bit of trivia for you now so Dave when the pandemic broke out in obviously America he has also got a place in Bahamas as you do when you're a big rock star
0: yeah because he's sitting down wearing Bahamas shorts <laughs> and at first I thought Jay Stewart's in his skirt <laughs> That's yeah. what it looks like. He's in his
1: Bahama shirt yeah. So Josh Stone Filmed him Singing his Not a lot of people know that So we basically okay. Cut it all together no, So we worked on it together But no he was brilliant So yeah it was really cute It might cute well. Thank yeah. you Thank you
0: Very fun mm-hmm. Um and so, well, so you're Dave Stewart. Oh, I have to say, though, by the way, when you're like, oh, my God, it's Dave Stewart. Right. You, you're feeling I, that. I, but like I mean, your own, you know, if somebody was to read the list of your work and the people you've worked with, <laughs> you're, you're intimidating.
2: <laughs> no. Obviously, you're not
0: intimidating at all. No. But I mean,
2: no.
0: uh, like you've had some really iconic moments, mm. um, you know. Pulp Fiction with Uma Thurman having her overdose and John Travolta and um, the commitments, obviously. I mean, the the Star Wars thing, which always tickles me so much because I always hate to people. You know, my friend is the very first person ever to die in the Star Wars universe. Captain, look! Like, that is, to other people, that is so huge. And you treat all that so lightly.
1: Do you know what? I, I mean, I don't sort of treat it lightly in a sense. I'll, I'll tell you what it was. It was so overwhelming at the time. I mean, I was in LA visiting a friend, you know, and that whole Pulp Fiction experience came up. But I knew how, I knew how brilliant Quentin was because I'd seen Reservoir Dogs in London in the cinema. And I just thought, this is like Shakespeare, man. This is like The Seventh Samurai. This, who, who's this dude? And then when I heard the name, because remember, it was such an amazing name yeah. in LA. This is this guy I turned to. I was like, Reservoir Dogs. He's amazing. And I went to the casting agent, met her, and then I went and met New York went to New York and met Quentin. But, you know, when something's that mammoth, you kinda because my part was so wee, I kinda felt so like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I just didn't want to be sort of, you know, over overdoing it. But I mean, it is amazing. And he was such a great guy and it was such a beautiful experience. I mean, you know, what I found there last year, funny, mammy was cleaning out well, Mammy wasn't cleaning out our studio because my mother has a studio at the top of the house and I call it the Maeve Cave because my mother's an artist and she makes the most extraordinary patchwork quilts, which will make anything. If you sit long enough, you'll be covered in something. But I love she, a good patchwork oh, quilt. D, oh, yes. oh, Jesus, if I tell her you want one, she'd be down the road. She'd be like, we call, her the, we call her the patchwork warrior. She was down the road, or Rumpelstiltskin, Rumpelstiltskin. But she's an amazing... See, see,
0: I, I I I love a good patchwork quilt. Oh, work. there'll be one so, coming down here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, there'll be
1: high heels and everything on it. <laughs> um, but she's an amazing artist And she's so kind And just makes things For people she's putting But she was clearing out A section of the bomb site That is her studio And she found The call sheets From Pulp Fiction The original call sheets And I must have said mommy keep them yeah. They were in a book And they're all hand typed Because it was pre-computer oh, yeah. So it's photocopied pages With the Pulp Fiction thing And the hand typed John Travolta Uma Thurman Me Eric Rosanna And I think Um Sam Jackson's on for a wig fitting. <laughs> so, I mean, I thought, wow, so there's two what of them. What year was that? Because to me,
0: that 19- seems like not that long ago. And it was all
1: No, it's 93. I mean, commitments came out in 1991, 92. I think it was 93. So it's kind of incredible that um, you look back and you think, like, wow, yeah. You know, so, I mean, I just think, what a joy to be involved in something like that. You know, it was a brilliant mm. piece. And he's a brilliant director. Like, he's top man, yeah. you know.
0: Well, you know, and, uh, you know, for me, you have a slightly iconic, yourself and Marie, of course, because the commitments for me is one of those things that for me has a special place because oh, I, I was living in Japan
1: at the time. That's right, though, I remember and, you telling me.
0: And there's absolutely nothing Irish in Japan, like I, nothing. I, they they don't know where it is. They don't know, you know, they think you're talking about Iceland, like I, nothing. Yeah, yeah. And suddenly this movie came out. Yeah. And now... It made a dent. Oh, why. And the fact that an Irish thing made a dent at all. At all. So I was yep. just like, oh, I have to find where this movie is playing. Yep. I, you know, I yep. r- heard about it and I had to go and find. It. And I started going there, you know, on my own in the afternoon yep. in the middle of Tokyo yep. and just suddenly stepping into the north side. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Yep. And so I have very fond feelings and memories about seeing the commitments that day and feeling like the first pre-internet so yeah. there's no face timing. Yeah. there was none of that so to see home and yeah. go up on the big screen in the middle of Tokyo yeah. then I know like it's a, a, I
1: know when you see it when you look back at the movie and we've seen it over the years you know different sort of festivals we might have went to and the like we did a big festival in the Czech Republic 20 years ago and it was the first time I'd seen it you know obviously in 10 years and it is I mean you know, it's a masterpiece as regards films come along. You know, we all have to remember the, the late, great, you know, master Alan Parker. And Alan was a master filmmaker. Mm. And, you know, that him and Linda Miles, who also, we must mention, whose idea was to bring the book to fruition and make it Day movie. You know, the team were, you know, the, the best of British cinema at that time mm. and Irish writers, obviously, and then the Irish talent that they got. And after the commitments, we all have the... Remember, the Irish Film Board did not exist at that time. After the commitments, the producers and the sort of, you know, the community of film people and the producers that would have been in that world or in other worlds, they went to the film, the government obviously, and they said, look, we need to reestablish this or whoever, yep. you know, they went to uh, reestablish the, the film board because the gates opened. So, yep. you know, I think when we did the reunion, 20 year anniversary gig in the Point Depot, and we all walked it on stage. So we'd done, I think, Glasgow, Liverpool, London, and then Dublin. And we walked up that gangplank up onto the Point stage, and there was like 18,000 people in that audience. Mm. You just thought, this is people's favourite
2: farm.
1: This is their film. It's part of your life because, it, you know, people didn't go and see it once. They went and seen it yep. three or four times. So, you know, and I say this with the utmost honest honesty out of my heart, Panty. It's like you won the lotto as a kid getting that job. I never take that that film for granted. Mm-hmm. I never, ever disrespect it. I never go, oh, come you know, yeah. yes, you get tortured now and again. But I was part of something that was magical. Yeah. And I changed my life. I was at school in Derry and I heard soul music. Hold on a minute here. You know, <laughs> with me, the munchkin of soul is ready to rock, as my mates call me. Do you know? I was like, oh, how long soul music? Mm. My mum was like, Bruno, they're from Dublin, the Wee Gears. I says, it doesn't matter. It's so an accent, It doesn't matter. And I was literally like, phoning Ross Hubbard because I'd done a couple of jobs with Ross and John. God bless them. Mm. Before, and I was like, I-, I need to be on that phone. And they were like, no, no. As soon as you open your mouth And that dairy accent comes out No 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 I need to be No And I just knew myself No I'll be in that film My mom was like Here we go Jesus You know <laughs> But it was literally just like I just felt it In my, my whole You know my heart I just I'm going to be in that film
0: There's a real determination And you sort of steel core to you Isn't there because Well I there was back To be back so then, determined I, I, And to be calling I up Rob knew, Hubbard and-
1: I, But I just knew that, that, that Well you know I had an agent And I just thought Well can they not get me seen for that You know It's because it was the music Because I was obsessed mm. I had the bag had a green canvas rucksack and it was just soul tips you go to Belfast looking for that mod that had that tip with that candy statin so where's that mod Philip and we got oh, give me that tip you tip it you down in Belfast had a tip in the tip because you couldn't get the records rare mm. soul rare Memphis or rare Philadelphia soul obsessed so it was about the music guy mm. I mean I wish I had that confidence a lot of the time and I could bottle it you know what I mean but- and, and the
0: film still stands up Oh, aye. it was on I think over Christmas on the telly or something. Oh, it's a cracker. Um, You know, I was making me fella watch it. Aye, it's and, a cracker, right. Um, it really, it's still aye, a good, it's fun, a cracker, it's a really aye. fun watch. And, and and you're right, it and my left foot aye. and Eurovision aye. and and you 2 aye. those four things at that aye. time. Aye. And the World Cup. Yes, and, the world, and the world Cup. Cup. But it, it, it sort of put Ireland on a yep. world stage yeah, yeah. culturally in a way that... Yep. It felt like
1: we never had been. And, I, it give us um, a confidence again, mm. you know. I think all journeys in life are joyous if you're confident, you mm. know, and you've confidence about stuff. And I just think, you know, we had been through so much. And you think of the poverty in Dublin back then. Mm. You look at that movie and you just say, oh, like, yeah. oh, my God. Yeah, it feels you know, like another century. It really yeah. does, you know. And what it did, it opened the floodgates to, you know, an industry that is flourishing. Yeah. And, you know, you think of the skill and the incredible talent that we have now not just obviously in our actors and our young actors mm. but in our crew you know now it's not rare for us to hear oh so you know, is up for yeah. another Oscar or you know Lenny Abraham's up for you know, yeah. we have you know a thriving wonderful industry mm. of top players because we got the confidence to go no 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 no, hold on here mm. you know and that's the beauty of it you know yeah
0: uh, um you're going to do another song first.
1: Yeah, it's called So the Story Goes. Um, and again, I suppose it's about uh, the internal language inside you your internal clock, the internal voice, inner dialogue. Um, and it's about quieting that in the mind. And that's what I feel. Obviously, meditation is a great skill for that, mm-hmm. changing the cogs, you know, realigning things up, you know, re re-sculpting your internal you know cognitive patterns and that's really what this song's about and um, self-empowerment
0: mm. and once again the delightfully suave Mr. Kean Boylan is going oh, to be accompanying yes. you on the ivories darling
1: Champagne Truffle that's what we call <laughs> it
2: So the story goes it Cannon- The trouble's nothing Put it in your pocket to see Can't remember anything you said Won't forget how it made me feel Climb inside a moment I'm never where I think I should be Crashing all around Kicking it apart piece by piece Can't control it Try to hold it. I got a selfish streak. It's the making of me. Lay it all out. Call the gods down. Ain't no higher power gonna pacify me. Head straight down. Inside job. Turn the time around. How's your heart beating now? the reset, now you play it like you know it should be, so the story goes, counting out the troubles, nothing put it in your pocket to see, can't remember anything you said, won't forget how it made me feel, oh, and I climb inside a moment, never where I think I should be, Rushing all around, kicking it apart piece by piece, out of harm's way, that's too easy. I got a warrior heart, it's the making of me. Let it all out, oh let the dogs out, caught the tailwind baby and it's lifting me right my knees head straight down inside job turn the time around how's your heart beating now blast the reset now you play it like you know it should be so the story goes All around, kicking it apart piece by piece. No more crashing all around, kicking it apart piece by piece. No more crashing all around, kicking
0: it apart piece by piece. Yay. Beautiful. Thank you. And, um, I don't know, uplifting in its own way. Yeah, yes. hopefully. Hopefully. Knowing your worth—that's
1: that, Louis. <laughs> the wealth of yourself, I.
0: Um, Bruna, when you were sort of mentioning, like for example, um, having the sort of the guts and all that to be Hassel and Ross or Hubbard, the legendary casting. Woman, um, you know, at the age that you were at the time and being from Derry and all that. Yes, and I've heard you before talking about um, you, you tried to get into loads of. Um, acting schools and that, and basically you'd turn up with your accent and open Hi. your mouth, you know, in London and they'd show you the doors and you kind of. Um, did you feel that coming from Derry and this place that, um, well, it's, it's a very distinct part of the world and yeah. it came at, certainly at the time with a lot of baggage. Yeah. Did you feel that from other people a lot?
1: I think we did to a point, but I'll have to, you know, I have to give the credit here to my parents because my parents were incredibly uh, careful with us when we were growing up um, to encourage the arts, mm. to encu- curi- encourage Louise, my sister, who's a producer now, film producer, Paul, my brother, who's a graphic designer. And... um. You know, we were always given such exposure to wonderful artists. If there were any comedy dairy, which was pretty limited at the time, but they had the Orchard mm-hmm. Gallery in Derry, which was an amazing gallery um, run by Declan McMonagle, who then came to run uh, the Irish Museum of Modern Art mm-hmm. after that. And we had just a great exposure to great music, obviously, great art, great films when they could get them on the box at the time. Mm-hmm. And any shows that came to Derry, any musicians, even if it was like Dickie Rock, we were up front mm. and central. If mm. it was the undertones, up front and central. The Drifters used to come every other year. For some reason, the Drifters used to come to Derry because of the old show band legacy. Mm. Up front and central with the Drifters. And I think that's where I got my glitter, a sequins obsession, because they used to wear these powder blue suits, you know, they'd alternate the brown yeah. one year, powder blue one year, with sequence stripes down the side and down the trouser leg died and gone to heaven. And as a kid, that was so impactful. I was like, that's what I'm rocking. So I'm always rocking about a sequence if I can. But they were very, very politically aware, very, very much. They were so engaged socially what was going on. And my father, you know, was on the bloody Sunday march and seen three people getting murdered on the day. Testified as evidence to the Saville inquiry. And, you know, he's very respected, my father, and that, uh, in the community. My daddy's a a very loyal person and he's a very good person. And they just kept us the right side away from the politics. Mm. And But it was a massive challenge mm. for them, you know, to, to keep your family safe during that time. It was tough. I yeah. mean, mother's just, you know, the light of my life. She's just this fantastic fairy artist person. They were mods, mm. so mad, mod, mad. Um, and stylers real end the style so we talked about this recently funny my parents and I you know when we were growing up on the Bog side you know we had gay activists come into our house for coffee on Sundays or tea or Sunday dinners you know we had Palestinian activists coming into our house we had French gay rights activists that had red Prada shoes and a Prada bag that I will never forget. <laughs> and my brother said, you know, is that Dick Emery? You know, to, to me, dad, we were like, shut up, get him out. And, you know, this is the kind of characters that we come, come into our house on a regular basis. Mm. You know, we had people that had, you know, political activists from all parts of the world that just would have met through our wacky, happy, daisy, gorgeous friend, our dear friend, Family friend who was politically um, very aware. And so we were growing up, you know, we were never told that that was right or that was wrong. Mm. Everybody was brought into our house and we were educated about everybody. Mm. We were educated about people on the other side, the British Army, the RUC, what that's about. You know, straight people, gay people, black people, Palestinian people, Basque separatists, you know, but you were taught about civil rights. That was the backbone. And equality. So when I went to London... To do the auditions for Rada, and they immediately picked up, you know, on my accent, they couldn't understand me. And what are you saying? What sorry? What do you, what are you, where, where are you from? And I was like, I'm from Northern Ireland, I'm from Derry. And I just knew this is not the place for me
2: because mm. this is the way
1: I speak. Mm. And I went home and I didn't get into any drama schools and I auditioned for seven. And then I got into the National Youth Theatre in London and my, um, Daddy and mommy were like mm, You know I was 17 But I was going There was no stopping me And then I got a part In a small in dairy At the same time So I ended up doing The filament dairy With Michael Winterbottom Yeah And then the following year Did the commitments
0: He really started well But uh, I don't even know If I've ever told you this before But my very first um, You know Interaction Connection Anything with dairy Was When we were kids mm-hmm. uh, So it was the 70s Um, And I, I don't know what age I am I'm eight or something And And mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, we're told that these kids are going to come and stay with aye, us in Ballin for the summer. We and we're like, you minute, know, And this bus arrives down and we're all just very excited in Ballin at the time. Very small town. And aye. here was a whole busload of new kids and they all get off. And all I knew was that we had to be very nice to these kids because these kids were having, you us. Know, from a, a war zone? From a aye. difficult aye. war aye. place. And these kids get off and they all open their mouths and they're all with their broad dairy accents. And I was like, well. Because oh, because like, you know, they're just like you guys. And I said, "Well, I'm
2: just <laughs> like us guys." <laughs> the, the gas part is I always, remember, you know, my
0: mother. You know, um, it, we, so we had two girls uh, come to stay in our house. Uh, you know, thing, from Derry, they're all from Derry. Uh, they're all I wonder you know, who they were. They break away from the troubles, and um uh, but um. They arrive and they're very nice little girls and they're being polite and they're giving my mother a present. And my mother does the mother thing very, you know, making a big uh, deal about opening up the present. Uh, she takes out. And it's a rubber bullet uh, mounted on a stand uh, uh, that says Bloody Sunday printed on the wow, side. And wow. of course, I, I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> I sort of And for like years afterwards, my mother had it like, because she she felt she had to put it up. So it was on a shelf, like hidden behind something wow. else for years afterwards. so And so... That was t- to me You guys were these like Alien kids Who were living in a war zone Who were coming to Ballinrobe To get away Aye. from it all I mean so Derry had this It was another world In comparison it was, to yeah. It was
1: another world When I first came to Dublin When I was 17 To meet my friend David Wilmot And Dave said to me Come down to Dublin And stay with us And I Got off the bus Dave picked me up And I was staying In Joan Sheehy's little flat In Temple Bar And then I went To the coffee inn and then I was dropped down Street, Grafton Street, okay. and all these hippies and all these rockabillys. i said, you know, Brussels I was like, oh my god! You know, it was like Vegas. You know, it was like the Hate Ashbury You know, it was all oh yeah. I'm, I'll have a bit of this. You know, so it was. Um, it was another world. Mm. It was another world. I mean, we used to go to Belfast up to these laveries and up to all the mod nights and the reggae nights and the skinhead nights so I would have been 16 and we used to go up there and dance all night the reggae you know and it was great but down in Dublin it was like it was, it was Las Vegas <laughs> different world they were very yeah. di- completely different places you know yeah. and I thought it was the Free State S-T-I-T <laughs> because I have done the Free State and I used to say the Free State and I oh the Free State or oh, the Free State uh, the Free State uh, so I still call it the Free State
0: Well, you know, we were in in one channel land in Mayo when we go to Dublin to visit my granny and all we wanted to do was sit down and watch BBC cartoons. You know. I I. (laughs) know, I know. But I'm talking to you now in this kind of weird period for Northern Ireland because, you know, after the Good Friday Agreement and all of that and it was all, you know, all seemed to be going in great directions and people had, you know, such great hopes for the future and all that for a long time, essentially. Mm -hmm. And then the... Brexit business comes along and it has gotten more entangled now. And and so Northern Ireland just seems to be in a weird place at the moment. Are you still hopeful for it?
1: I am hopeful. We have to remain hopeful. I think one of the great tragedies of the, the Good Friday Agreement's potential was the loss of Mo Molin, key figures in this entire peace process, Mm -hmm. Martin McGuinness, Ian Paisley, when they just got to a point where they actually realised we like each other. Mm. So you had very, very key, important, respected figures within the communities of each community uh, that were vital Mm. to conversation, were vital to the most important aspect of all which is forgiveness. Because if we're going to move forward and in any war zone, any post-conflict situation, without understanding of other people's experience, there is no forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And that's where we're in trouble. Mm -hmm. So those men and women that were at that table, that just went, you know what, enough of this. And they all died. And, you know, it's all about human beings. Everything's about human beings. And sometimes you will find one particular light that has that intelligence, that wisdom, that articulation and the respect to actually unify people, not Mm -hmm. divide. You know, we've seen it obviously tenfold, you know, last year with the elections in America. Mm -hmm. We're seeing it here in our own country. So I have belief that... Ultimately, human beings are good Mm -hmm. and that the greatest power of all is the power to love and the power to unify. That's more powerful than any other energy, although sometimes it's hard to keep believing that that is actually real. Mm -hmm. But when you unify people together. That sense, that euphoric sense of maybe just two lovers coming back together, a family member coming back together, two family members coming back together that fell out. When you unify people together or unify communities, that feeling, you you cannot mess with that mm-hmm. because that's the universal law. That's not me being a mad mental yogi dude happy. That's the law. And when I stood in Belfast and you two came and played there. To be one is a
2: great thing but to respect difference
1: maybe even greater what do you think and you had the RUC at the time this is pre you know pre PSNA you had the RUC standing back and letting young people come on together not young people I mean everybody was there <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know your dog was at it uh-huh. you know everybody was on that that field you see you two playing. That was
2: like, the...
1: and that was to me. That was a. That was a, Come on, you know. Come on here. This is the way it should be, man. This is the way it should be. <coughs> that, you're going to get all of the voices, you know, all of the voices of the lost tribes now, you know, spouting out that this is the way forward. No, it's not. We've no room for them in politics anymore. We don't want it. Nobody wants it. The people that are stopping this happening, that have prejudice in their heart, that have a born sense of entitlement and inequality in their heart there's no room for them anymore Mm. and all of the other people within the communities that used to support them they don't because people just want two things to be loved and to pay their bills you know you hear people when you go home and I stand and talk to my friends and my daddy's friends my mommy's friends and that that you know truth that they come out with, the truth that nobody might ever hear, you know, the women that lost their sons, the women that lost their husbands, the women that lost their children, and the men that lost their wives and all the people. And when you hear that, you know, that's the universal want that people have. There's no such thing in dairy anymore as cross-community. You know, we're getting rid of them words. All we have is a community. Yeah. So people at the top that think they're going to stop it, no, they're not. Because it's the people in there that, again, as we said, when we've seen what happened here with the referendums, the people have the power and it won't be tolerated. Mm -hmm. It won't be tolerated because no one wants to go back to what we had before. And all the people that are radicalising young people, vulnerable young people that aren't being brought up properly with morals and respect. But the men and women that are not giving those people and those young people a chance to have a good shot at life, that are radicalising kids with dangerous, dangerous ideologies that are not political mandates, that are nothing to do with the people that died for Ireland or before. They wouldn't even understand it. They couldn't spell their names with the racism that they have on their hearts and the utter anger. You know, work on your anger and put it somewhere positive. Do not be handing young people guns. Mm. And then we're going to end up with a horror and the heartbreak of situations like Lyra McKee. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. A voice of Ireland, the future of Ireland, you know, because that morning when we woke up that April morning and you heard about Leary McKee, you know, that was, that was the one of the darkest moments in my life and my mother rang me and I was in London and my mother was crying on the phone and she just said, it feels like bloody Sunday. Mm. And I thought, oh no, 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 no. You know, so all the people that think that they're hard men and hard women have a word with yourself. It's over, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, I hope and pray to Dolly Parton.
1: I pray to it Dolly all every night.
0: Works out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, before I let you go, uh, Rona, what, what are you up to now? What's uh, next? What's going well,
1: on? Well, we are finishing the records. We are working on our. Um, Latest record, Now we're going to have a new album out next spring. We just finished with the beautiful Noel Hogan on his record "Cry Baby." Yes, and I saw you
0: on the late late show doing "Cry Baby," yeah. and you were spectacular. Uh, um, that's Noel fun. Hogan from the Cranberries. Noel was and in you, the
1: Cranberries, absolutely, and you he's collaborated on his own. and wrote together. He's his own. Um, work now very much out front and central. So, yeah, we had a great conversation last summer through Kira Davey, my music manager, and she introduced us, and we spent a lovely few days chatting about songs and different records that we love, and we came up with this idea. He sent me the music, and the sort of track was there, Name track "Cry Baby," so I just went off into my mountainous walks and my little headphones on. Know, know, and uh, so it was great fun. I wrote that during the whole sort of first three months up in Derry. And then it came back, recorded it here with Connor, the vocal, and then we sent it off to Noel, thinking, well, you know, it might come to something. And he mixed it with his fabulous engineer, um, Chanzo Townsend, in London, and boom, it's been a great, yeah. you know, great, greatly received. It's been great, yeah.
0: and it's because I, I saw you on the Lady late, and I was thinking oh she's definitely in Dublin because I wasn't sure if you were in Dublin or not so it I was, was the not, goona <laughs> like,
2: you were looking at like it the was podcast? the <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um,
0: and is there any more I mean you've just finished doing um, another series of Brassic filming yeah. that and everything do you have any more projects coming up
1: yes we are coming back to um, Manchester in July to start Brassic 4 so I'll be back there with my carol hair extensions and my fabulous 50p clothes uh, Looking the part, and then uh, yeah, we're going to get this record finished. We're back here in the studio, and we're going to finish um, my fourth record with the with the A team. Yes. Yeah. Um,
0: well, I look forward to that and much more, Brona. Thank you. Um, honey. It's been lovely to catch up. Lovely um, to, lovely up to you. see you. you Love too. your cape. What that for you? Your, your secret cape. But a better not del- be A delight
1: if anybody could out sequence me it's you but I thought not nah, today sister. and I'm sitting
0: here in yet another caftan All this one is going to be oversized shirt dress quality no um, to hide my um, new baby bumper
1: <laughs> <you> love love <laughs> handles <laughs> um, a
0: delight as always uh, Brona um, great to see thanks you. for coming in thank you Mwah. is that alright? yeah Oh, oh,